The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Earnings alert. The busiest week of the season is here. Nearly 160 companies, 40% of the Dow, are set to report their numbers this week. Among the earnings on deck, big tech, including Meta, Apple, and Amazon, after wild swings from Netflix and Snap, investors, they're on edge ahead of the tape. Setting the tone, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen taking issue with the idea of a recession, but admitting certain sector slowdowns are a reality. Today's RBI and what one big firm is saying about stocks, sentiment, and when a market bottom could be in. Later on, WHO has a new alert, and it hopes to avoid the pandemic status. It is Monday, July 25th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. It is great to be back with you. Good Monday morning. Let's get right now to your Monday money and check out things look to start off your work week because stocks, they're coming off what was a pretty good week. Small caps last week, really the star up about 4%, but all the major averages had a nice few days, and right now... Uh, maybe that momentum will continue. It's hard to know. Futures up 54 on the Dow, one-tenth or whatever of 1% on the NASDAQ. So really a little green, but still kind of hard to tell which way this Monday market might go. We're also coming off a wild week for bonds. And that is not something that we say very much in the usually boring bond market. Inflation expectations are coming down and quick. And so are bond yields. The 10-year yield right now is at 2.79%. It is down 12% in just a month. Maybe that'll help reignite the housing market. Who knows? And energy, crude oil is down just about a buck a barrel. It has been weak lately. Gas prices, thankfully, they're coming down, but not natural gas. It is higher again right now. It is back above eight bucks. Hot weather around much of America and Europe is driving demand. And in crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether. They are lower right now, down about three and four percent. They are also, though, coming off one of their best weeks in a long time. Really, last week, everything was up. The everything rally was back on. We'll see if that lasts or if it's just some kind of a a bear market bounce. All right, well, before we do that, let's get a check on what's happening overseas. Juliana Tottlebaum is in London with the early trade and maybe a couple of key headlines out of Europe. Juliana, what's going on? Brian, great to see you. Glad you made it back safe and sound. As for European market trade this morning, it's a fairly muted picture. We do have some patches of green coming through. Sentiment has been improving over the last hour or so of the trading session. FTSE 100 flat, the CAC 40 in France just crossing into positive territory. The Zetra DAX had been down about four-tenths of a percent about an hour ago. And as you can see, we're approaching the flat line in Germany as well. A little bit of resilience also in Italy after last week. We saw Italian assets suffer uh, right 
right now, FTSE MIB up about 17 basis points. Now, all of this as investors look out for some key corporate earnings and, of course, keep their eyes on the Fed this week. We also were keeping an eye on Volkswagen shares this morning. Some big news out of Volkswagen. The company has ousted CEO Herbert Deese. VW's board voted unanimously to get rid of Deese late on Friday, following four volatile years at the helm of the carmaker. Shares are down nearly 3 We also got a fresh check on German consumer and business sentiment this morning. Morale across German businesses fell more than expected in July, according to a survey from the IFO Institute. IFO's president told us this morning Germany is on the brink of recession with high energy prices, Brian, as you know very well, and gas, gas shortages weigh on the economy. Brian, back over to you. Uh, Julian, I'll tell you what, everybody that we talked to, that we told why we were there, they'd say, why are you here? You know, obviously we're U.S. media. We said exactly what the story is. And they and they all pretty much, pretty much every person said, I'm worried. I'm scared. I don't know if I'm going to have gas. It just felt, it felt a little bit like a nervous time. And it feels like that EFO index you just talked about, Juliana, is reflecting that. Absolutely. Not just consumers, as you found out last week, but businesses. The path forward is incredibly uncertain, and we're looking at potential rationing in Germany. We already have a bailout coming through for the utility company Uniper, and there is the prospect of more bailouts to come. Yeah, you said, I'm glad you made it back. I'll tell you what, Juliana, you couldn't pay me to go to a European airport. If I told you that 5,000 people we're in the security line at Frankfurt Airport. I'm not sure I'd be exaggerating. Took me three flights and 22 hours to get home. But hey, I made it. Not complaining about it. Juliana, thank you. <laughs> By the way, folks, if you are going to Europe, I'm just telling you, go to the airport early, like four hours early. All right. That is overseas. Now let's stay stateside. Here are a few key money headlines that are happening right now. Shares of China's biggest property developers are surging. This on reports that Beijing is creating a dedicated $44 billion fund to support the troubled sector. Trading in shares of several of the country's biggest developers have been suspended in recent months due to ongoing worries about liquidity as China's real estate takes a major downturn. Also happening now, Tesla is looking to open up its electric charging network to non-Teslas. Company is now bidding for a portion of billions of dollars in federal and state aid aimed at expanding nationwide charging. Now, if that is granted, it would force Tesla to allow non-Tesla owners to access its current network using adapters for their plugs. Now, separately, Tesla is scheduled for a court-ordered settlement talks in a shareholder lawsuit. This over Elon Musk's 2018 tweets about taking the company private. Remember that? Funding secured. A settlement conference is settled for October 3rd, adding to an already busy month for Musk as he faces a five-day trial in October over his abandoned $44 billion Twitter takeover. And a union representing nearly 2,500 employees at three Boeing defense locations around St. Louis, rejecting the company's latest contract offer. The union is currently taking issue with 401k contributions and says that if a deal cannot be reached, its members will strike at the locations beginning August 1st. All right, there are some of the headlines. And now back to your money. A summer rebound in stocks sparking hopes for a bear market that may have bottomed. The S&P 500 rising 2.5% last week and briefly moved back above the 4,000 mark. That's the first time that's happened in about a month and a half. 
Since hitting the lows for the year on June 16th, the S&P is up 4.5%. But is this just a classic bounce in an otherwise still bad market? Let's bring in Annika Trion, Managing Director of Equities at Kempen. Annika, it's great to have you back on. Uh, great week last week for pretty much everything, but I'm not really sure what's changed. What's your take? Hi, Brian. No, indeed, I'm not really sure what's changed either. And all eyes will be, well, there's a lot happening in this coming week. It's a very exciting week from a data perspective. All eyes on the Fed, because right now, monetary policy is really dictating um, how, how markets are behaving. And all eyes to see how the Fed continues its, its hawkish path. Do you have confidence in the U.S. Fed, the European Central Bank? I mean, I, I'm sorry to say it. These people that we put our trust into and we, we give the headlines on CNBC every day, they've been wrong about everything. They've been totally wrong. But what what ought to be said is the Fed is very serious about building back its credibility. And if you look since the June meeting, in fact, you know, the major culprits of pricing pressure, be it wheat, corn, um, oil, etc. These are all down double digit territory. And I think the most remarkable of all, which is the most yeah, the most remarkable of all is that long-term inflation expectations have come crashing down. Look at five-year break-evens. You know, market participants are anticipating that inflation is not actually that much higher than the 2% goal in the U.S. The ECB, Europe, is a different ballgame altogether. Yeah, I mean, and with all due respect to say the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, we gave the headlines at the top of the show. She's saying, oh, I'm not really that worried about a recession. With all due respect... She's a multimillionaire living in a Washington bubble. She's not out buying gasoline and groceries in central Ohio or, for that matter, central Netherlands, where you are. It just feels like what we're hearing from the folks that we are, quote, relying on, Annika, both there and here, your energy crisis. I was there last week. For years, people said, don't worry about it. Guess what's happening now? And it feels like the markets are reacting to just that or Maybe I'm just jet lagged and cynical, Annika. I don't know. No, but I, I think the cynicism is well grounded and we need to get real. The pain is real. And, you know, referring to Europe, as mentions, we believe that Europe is just going through a perfect storm. Right. You've got too high inflation. You've got an energy price crisis. You've got a risk of a sovereign debt crisis. And to top it all off, you simply lack a runway of monetary policy ability to act upon this. And I think that the U.S., the Fed, I mean, you could argue the head is fiking, fiking from a, uh, sorry, hiking from a position of strength to a certain extent. There are strong labor markets, etc. Europe is in a different ballgame altogether. Right. I mean, there are certain characteristics yeah. that are very specific for Europe than there are in the U.S. Well, I, as I said, when I was there last week, it felt like 2009 with an energy crisis thrown on top. But that said. That said, let's be optimistic. It's the beginning of a new week, Annika. When all the headlines seem bad, when everything seems the worst, sometimes that's the time to buy stocks, is it not? Is, is now that time? Well, that's what we've seen over the last weeks. It's amazing. So PMI slipping below 50, bad news everywhere, and stocks were going higher and higher and higher. So, you know, is this a bear market rally? Is it that stock markets, you know, already seen enough and it's about the incremental news flow? That's why the earnings season is so important, because 
We all know stocks have sold off. We all know you've seen a massive multiple D rating. What we don't know yet is to what extent stocks have really sold off from an earnings perspective. And we discussed last time, yep. earnings expectations have held up remarkably well, surprisingly well. And that's, that's going to be tested in the coming weeks. See, I like that. We ended on a positive note. What do they say, Annika? Sometimes it's dar- or it's always darkest just before the dawn. And maybe that's the case Absolutely. here. Annika Trion, thank you. Perseverance. Yeah, have a great day and Thanks. a good week, Annika. Cheers. Thank you. All right, everybody, grab a cup of coffee because we are just getting started on this Monday. And when we come back, the World Health Organization declaring monkeypox a global health emergency. Our U.S. emergency rooms preparing for a COVID-like influx of patients. Plus, a busy month for Elon Musk just got even more hectic over reports of an affair with the co-founder of Google's wife. Let me repeat that. Elon Musk reportedly had an affair with Sergey Brin's wife. Are we CNBC or TMZ? And later on, today's RBI and why one big firm on why... If you want to know when stocks might bottom, you got to know the three P's. We'll tell you about them coming up. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. The World Health Organization declaring monkeypox a global health emergency. That designation indicating a potential need for a coordinated international response, with Europe reportedly at the epicenter of the outbreak. The WHO chief says the outbreak is unlikely to disrupt any trade or any travel, at least for now. All this as the world deals with yet another round of COVID infections, and likely more to come, maybe for years to come. And with some scary headlines out there once again, what is really happening on the ground and at the hospitals? Joining us now once again is Dr. Michael Daniel, emergency physician at Providence St. Joseph Medical Center in Los Angeles. Doctor, it's great to have you back on again because there's been so many new scary headlines, cases, infections, hospitalizations, all the numbers are up. What are you seeing on the ground at your hospital? having me back. So, you know, it's certainly a different pandemic for us on the front lines now compared to this winter and certainly as far back as 2020. And so what I see in the ER now is patients present with a different kind of virus. So it causes more of an acute flare-up or exacerbation of patients' chronic medical problems. So diabetes, high blood pressure, chronic kidney disease, chronic 
lung disease. So it's a much more different dynamic than what we were used to with patients coming in before vaccines, before this widespread immunity where they had pneumonia, low oxygen levels, requiring ICU admissions and much more heavy resource use. So it's certainly been a huge paradigm shift for us in the front lines. Well, it's really important on the ground information, doctor. So it sounds like in the past, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had relatively healthy people coming in because they were sick from COVID. COVID made them go to the hospital. Sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, what you're seeing now primarily are patients that do have other unfortunate chronic medical conditions that COVID is either making worse or sort of bringing back up. Is that a fair way to characterize it? Yeah, I think that's accurate. And even if you look past to earlier in the year when you and I spoke last, and it was much more easier to much more easy to differentiate patients that coming in for COVID or uh, with COVID, just testing incidentally. And I think that kind of definition has been muddled lately because it's not as clear cut where you see a patient with viral pneumonia, low oxygen levels, and you're like, oh, this is definitely COVID. So I think that warrants a difference in how we need to look at what this virus is doing. But I think the key point to remember is that COVID is causing acute flare ups, these chronic, chronic medical problems. But that is the bread and butter of what we see in the ER all the time. And it's much less resource intense than it was in the winter and certainly a few years ago when every patient came in with viral pneumonia requiring high levels of oxygen, respiratory therapy, yeah. the ICU, and possibly a ventilator. You know, there's not a lot of states that put out a lot of clear information. I like to use Massachusetts because I think they do the best job of any state that sort of separates all the stuff so we kind of know really what's going on. And ahead of this interview, doctor, I was looking at Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, there's nearly 600 people in the, co- in the hospital uh, with COVID. About 30% of them are there for COVID. And as somebody who has two parents that are over the age of 80, I wish everybody good health, but almost every patient, more than 60-some percent, were over the age of 80, and plurality of those other ones were over the age of of 70. Is this particularly a a right now a time where those that, and by the way, 60% are fully vaccinated in Massachusetts. The elderly seem to be, again, the the super high-risk group. What can we do to protect them? Yeah, I think the most important thing, as we saw from the recent CDC data, is that if you have not gotten a dose, a booster of anything in 2022, now is the time. And I think the patients that I'm seeing that are requiring admission for these acute flare-ups are usually patients that haven't had that second booster. So especially the, the elderly of the elderly and the people over 50, they need to get that second dose as soon as possible. Yeah, and wishing them best to recovery. We're showing the, the graphic there, number of hospitalizations uh, in, in the state of Massachusetts. Doctor, how many more variants, when you guys talk in your private moments or, you know, in, in research or whatever you do, how many more variants oh, should we expect? It's BA5 now. My buddy works at Hopkins. He's a virologist. Uh, I, he expects variants pretty much forever, I think. I mean, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, it's really hard to say. I mean, this this virus has completely, you know, once again, shocked us over and over. And I think the most important thing we have to remember is that there is just so much background immunity right now. And so when we talk about whether BA5 is, you know, more intrinsically dangerous than previous variants, 
it does it really matter is my point, because if you look at what's happening on the front lines, what we see in the ER, because everybody's been vaccinated, because a lot of people have been vaccinated and exposed, you're seeing less severe disease. You're seeing less intensive uh, COVID disease requiring that hospitals have to divert critical resources yep. and not see as many patients. And so, you know, I think we have to, you know, just keep an open mind and be prepared yeah. as best we can, and especially looking ahead to the fall and the yeah. winter. You're you're working on the ground at a big hospital, doctor. How many people in the last, say, 30 days, and just you don't have to be exact, an approximation, have you seen personally that are there for, not with COVID, not they got hurt and then they tested positive. How many people have you seen there for COVID that needed medical attention? Yeah, I think in the last month I had one patient that uh, was triple vaccinated, hadn't one? had a second year that required admission for viral pneumonia, which is something I had not seen since the winter. And I mean, I was honestly kind of shocked to, to see this, but he did well with just supplemental oxygen and had a, a relatively short stay in the hospital. But I'm certainly seeing a lot of people that have the acute flare-ups of their chronic medical problems. But again, that's what we do in the ER day in and day out. People whose chronic yeah. medical problems just get worse for whatever reason. It's, COVID is just something else. Why aren't we, doctor, I know... I, I know we got to go, and I'm sorry to drag this on, producers, Evan, and everybody. I'm sorry, but I got to ask this. Why aren't we talking more in this country about just better general health? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. And I think, you know, you have to talk about vaccine, vaccination, hand-in-hand hand with what people are doing to better their wellness, their exercise, their diet, and all those other factors are equally as important. Dr. Michael Daniel, St. Joseph's Providence Medical Center out of Los Angeles. Doctor, we really appreciate your views. We'll get you back on again soon. Want to know exactly what's happening on the ground. Doctor, have a great day. Thank you. All right, still on deck here. We're going to get back to the markets. More than 30% of S&P 500 stocks set to report their numbers this week. But it's all about big tech, of course. And you're ready for Meta, Google, Amazon, and more. What investors are saying ahead of those numbers next. Today's big number, 80%. That's the drop in the number of vessels waiting to unload goods at the Port of Los Angeles since the beginning of the year. The backlog of vessels has fallen from a record of 109 down to 20. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. 
Welcome back and good Monday morning. Let's now get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business. Francis Rivera is in New York with those. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Los Angeles police on a manhunt after two people were killed and five others injured in a shooting. The gunfire erupted yesterday afternoon during a car show in San Pedro's Peck Park. Authorities say about 500 people were there, including children. It began as a fight between two parties. It's not known if this was gang-related. Police did find some guns from the scene. They believe multiple shooters were involved. The January 6th committee is planning another round of public hearings for September. One person they want to talk to is Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. The committee signaled they want to question her about her communications with both former President Trump and his chief of staff, Mark Meadows. The Washington Post also reported that Thomas sent emails to 29 Arizona state lawmakers urging them to help overturn Mr. Trump's loss. Now a fast-moving fire near Yosemite National Park. The Oak Fire has burned more than 15,000 acres in California's Mariposa County as high temperatures, wind, and dry conditions help fuel the flames. Governor Gavin Newsom declared a state of emergency, and more than 6,000 residents have been forced to evacuate. At least 10 structures have been destroyed and five others damaged so far. And parts of the country could soon see relief from the punishing heat. 235 million Americans are braving temps above 90 degrees with 40 million battling triple digits. But severe weather today could cool down in the Northeast. Brian, no one needs that more than New York City. It is sweltering. It is smelly, disgusting, sticky, all of the above. Uh, We can't get that rain and, and cooler temperatures fast enough. There's nothing like the smell of the subway in, like, late July with the heat and the humidity, right? It's just got its own. We should bottle that, Francis. O to A train. O to A train. For what, right? Ryan? I don't know, but more power to you. It it's a deer repellent. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Francis Rivera, it's amazing, all the headlines. It's hot in summer. Who would have known? Francis, thank you. Sure thing. All right, yeah, they got it. We need like a big a couple days of rain and kind of wash everything. Anyway, all right, straight ahead. I guess forget family movie night. What Disney did this past weekend that is forcing some to turn back on those parental controls. We'll tell you about it. Stock features, they're up just a bit. And we're back right after this. Get ready for earnings and big tech on deck with numbers out of Apple, Amazon, Meta, and more. Why your next guest says he's already lowered the bar for the group. Plus, after a two-week shutdown, global gambling mecca Macau back open for business. But for how long this time? Later on, get to know the three P's. Bank of America strategy session for knowing when a market bottom might be in. It is Monday, July 25th, and this is... Worldwide Exchange, right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back, and good Monday morning, everybody. Just about 5.30 on the East Coast of America. Thanks for joining us. Start off your week. Let's get right now to your Monday money and check how things are looking about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour, and we're seeing stock futures mildly higher. We came off a really good week for equities last week. All the major averages up, small caps up 4%, great breath. It was like 9 to 1 advancers, decliners. The VIX decline. Hugely positive week, but it doesn't look like, at least right now, we're going to see that kind of momentum follow through. We are seeing futures higher, but up by about one to two-tenths of one percent. It was a wild week in the bond market. 
We saw inflation expectations come down. Bond yields came down with it. In fact, the benchmark 10 years at 2.8% right now in energy. We're seeing crude oil down just under a buck a barrel. It has been down lately, but not so natural gas. Natural gas is up. Crude oil, by the way, is now turned positive. It's up. It's at 95.55. Natural gas is up. It's at 837. Hot weather around America, much of the world, driving prices back up. And speaking of the world, you know, we were just there last week. What about Europe? Well, the situation there is dire, of course. Spot natural gas there. Well, they're paying about 160 Dollars. So megawatt euros per megawatt hour, the transition would be about 50 U.S. dollars. We're paying eight. So Europe is paying maybe six to eight times what we are for the exact same product, natural gas. I want you to think about that and imagine heating your home in the winter with your biggest input costs, if you use natural gas, 700% more than in the United States. Something to think about. All right, let's get down to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Contessa Brewer is here with those. Contessa, what's on your radar this morning? Hi, Brian. Good morning. Welcome back to the U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is taking issue with the idea of, com- of a coming U.S. recession. She told NBC's Meet the Press, we're far from those levels. This is not an economy that's in recession. But we're in a period of transition in which growth is slowing. A a recession is a broad-based contraction that affects many sectors of the economy. We just don't have that. At a steady and sustained pace, and that the slowdown right now is necessary and appropriate. China is denying a report it is considering a three-tiered strategy to avoid USD listings. The Financial Times reported earlier that regulators in Beijing would group would-be public China-based companies into categories, including those with no access to sensitive data, those with some access, and those with access to secretive data. We'll see what comes out of that. And Elon Musk is throwing cold water on a Wall Street Journal report. He had a brief affair with Google co-founder Sergey Brin's wife, one that led Brin and his wife to divorce shortly after their marriage in 2018. And also, by the way, a falling out with Musk. Among a number of tweets overnight, Musk called the report a hit piece. He said, Sergey and I are friends and we were at a party last night together. Or last, yep, adding, I've only seen Nicole twice in three years, both times with many other people around. Nothing romantic. Issued by Twitter, statements of denial. Brian. There you go. We, we, I teased it earlier. Contessa said, is this TMZ or CNBC? I guess Elon Musk trying to... It's both. It's the, Musk on a Monday versus morning, the Wall Street both. Journal now, Contessa. <laughs> By the way, can you give us a tease about your upcoming Macau piece in like two minutes? What can we expect? You want a two-minute tease or the piece is in two minutes? No, no, no. What can we, a two-minute tease? Listen, here it is. The rest of us are ready to get out of COVID mindset. We want out of a pandemic mindset. In Macau, it is still front and center. And even though the casinos are back open, wait till you hear what is happening there or what's not. See that there you that's a, see that's a tease. Now I'm going to watch. I wasn't, but now I'm going to watch. Contessa, <laughs> we'll see you in a couple minutes. Okay. Thank you very much. By the way, never seen airports more crowded and pretty much everybody seemed like they were moving on. All right. 
Put your hands and feet inside the ride and buckle up because it is a big week for earnings. 100 S&P 500 companies, 150 rather, are set to report their numbers, including big tech heavy hitters like Apple, Google, Facebook, and Microsoft. So far, the season has been a mixed bag. It's early, but 21% of the S&P 500 have reported their numbers through Friday, and about 70% did beat expectations. Still, investors, though, shaking off the shock from last week's disaster from Snapchat and a little bit of an upside surprise out of Netflix. So what can we expect this week with earnings and with guidance? Joining us now is Arate Research Senior Analyst Richard Kramer. Richard, it's good to have you back on the program. Earnings are nice. Guidance is probably more important. What are you expecting from both? So I think we need to move beyond this, uh, this beat versus miss paradigm, Brian, because clearly the companies have understood this and tend to lowball estimates. But as you mentioned, we just cut all our estimates for digital ad spending through the second half of the year and into 2023, because clearly some of the impacts of, of a recessionary climate, even if Janet Yellen, is, as mentioned before, doesn't see it as a recession, these, this climate is clearly impacting companies. And I think for a lot of the big tech companies, you'll see that in their, if they give guidance at all, you'll see that reflected in the language around their outlooks. Yeah. Well, if you say a downturn in the digital ad market, I mean, my sort of radar goes off. That's not good for Google. That's not good for Facebook. So that's going to be different for both the companies. First of all, in the case of Facebook, they have an incredibly easy comp for the first for the third quarter coming up, where last year they had a sequential decline in sales. But we forecast that they won't grow. They'll have flat sales in 2023 because they're in a business model transition to more hardware and higher content costs. In the case of Google, they're insulated a little bit with something called search, because you're seeing a shift, and this is one of the big themes in the market, a shift away from discretionary product spend towards services. You just mentioned travel and the airports are crammed. Well, you do the same type of searches for travel that you would to find product. So Google has, has sort of a hedge depending on the, the spend that consumers uh, have, whereas Facebook, which is more linked to e-commerce, doesn't. And we just actually initiated on, on Etsy this morning with a sell rating. We think they are in, in, the, in the crosshairs, if you will, of that discretionary uh, spending by consumers that is clearly drying up. A sell on Etsy. Any others? Mm-hmm. Well, we do have sales on, on quite a few companies. We downgraded Twitter to a sell because I think the numbers there were very poor. Uh, and, you know, there really is no certainty that Musk is going to be called to account and forced to buy the company. And again, you compare them with Snap, which was absolutely uh, slammed last Friday and sort of reversed this bear market rally in a lot of tech uh, for sales that were up 5% sequentially. And Twitter's sales were actually down 3% sequentially. So you see they're coming from different positions. And I think Twitter's slide into a $270 million net loss. Uh, it doesn't bode well for a company that spent $2 billion buying back its own stock in the first quarter of the year and now has less than a billion net cash on its balance sheet. Yeah, and we're showing Snap. I mean, that stock got crushed. What was it, 30-plus percent, I believe it was, on Friday, yeah. Richard. And I'm you know, wiping out years of in any investor gains in that name. You may not have to name the names here with this question, Richard, but are we going to see any kind of a big public company in tech go to zero 
effectively. I mean, uh, I mean it seems like these companies, they, they either got to turn around or, or they're going to go to zero at some point. Yeah. So some of these companies are clearly going to have the money, the, the rug pulled out from under them. I think, as I, I've, I've mentioned to you many times, uh, Brian, big tech is going to outperform because, you know, Google has $119 billion of cash on its balance sheet. Apple has around $70 billion. Facebook has around $50 billion. These companies are better managed and they, they understand how to mitigate their variable costs and to manage risk. What you see with a lot of the smaller companies, and we've talked about this before, is they don't have the adult supervision in the room. This is something that Evan Spiegel's founders at Snap uh, got with Jeremy Gorman coming in. This is something that we'll see if it changes at Pinterest, where you had the founder CEO step aside and you brought in a new CEO experience guy from Google. But this is a problem at Shopify, at Spotify, at yeah. Twitter and many other companies, that these founder CEOs are still running the, sh the show as if they have unlimited capital to hand. Uh, and, and that's just not going to cut it anymore. You really need seasoned uh, management that understands yeah. how to cut variable costs into a downturn. Why, why wouldn't they act like that? People threw hundreds of millions or billions of dollars at them. They're walking around in their T-shirt using buzzwords. Now they own $50 million mansions in Tahoe. They don't care about the investors. They've made their well, money. They're billionaires yeah, now. One other thing you're going to see a lot of, and we're already seeing the first bit of it, is you're going to see a muddy the waters M&A trend. So you saw Unity Iron Source. Uh, this is a company that had uh, Unity yeah. had gone from 224 to 30 bucks. They did a giant 4.4 billion all stock merger with Iron Source, another troubled company that was a SPAC, went from 10 to two. And now what you're gonna what they're saying is, oh, we'll have synergies by the fourth yeah. quarter. Uh, on a run rate basis of 2024, which means we can make a date to come back in February 2025 and see if they've actually hit those numbers. They're buying time. And so you'll see a lot of companies yeah. huddle together with M&A to try to, to hide what's going on in their real business. That's actually something we think Etsy's done with the last three acquisitions. They want to hide the slowdown in its core business post-pandemic. Yeah. So they've made a bunch of deals. And that simply won't yeah. work if you don't have management to integrate those businesses. Fair, fair, fair to say. And I'm sure a lot of these companies and the founders do care about investors. You got my point, though, about just they're rich and, you know, investors are getting crushed. Probably a lot of anger out there. Richard Kramer, Arate Research. Richard, always appreciate you. Have your blunt speak on. We need it. Richard, thank you very much. All right. Coming up next, your morning RBI and what one big Wall Street firm is saying to do if stocks continue to fall. Here's a hint. Maybe get ready to gorge. But as we head to break, some of your top trending stories, Disney Plus users, they can now stream R-rated movies for the first time. The service will carry superhero movies like Deadpool, Deadpool 2, and Logan. They try to attract new subscribers with more adult-focused content. Some good news. It's getting cheaper to fill up. The Lundberg Survey reports the average price for a gallon of gas, now $4.54 nationwide. That's down 32 cents over the past two weeks. That said, the average is still $1.32 higher per gallon than this time last year. And buying a piece of sports history, Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Ursay just bought the heavyweight title belt that Muhammad Ali won by beating George Foreman in the Rumble in the Jungle. Reports say the belt went for nearly $6.2 million. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let us get global in one of the biggest sectors of the Asian economy. 
Macau casinos reopening this weekend after being shut down again because of what else? COVID. But what happens now to casinos that are way bigger than Las Vegas? Contessa Brewer has been following the story and rejoins us now with the latest. Contessa, what's going on in Macau? Okay, well, so and here's why Macau matters. In case you don't follow casinos as closely as I do, before the pandemic, Macau gaming revenue was like six times what Las Vegas is. They closed down for 12 days here in July because of uh, an infection outbreak in Macau. Now they were allowed to reopen over the weekend. But look, there's not a lot to celebrate here. It's only likely to be locals coming into the casinos at this point because COVID travel restrictions are still in place, including mandatory quarantine. And there are questions about when those might actually lapse because the nearby city of Zhuhai is experiencing some uh, additional COVID lockdowns. When I asked operators what their expectations are for the reopening, uh, what I got back was not a lot here. Las Vegas Sands closed uh, and reopened Saturday. It saw a drop in the numbers of infections. Uh, and now they have told the government, has told Macau residents, they have to undergo daily testing and report to the government. Additionally, the staff can only be at 50 percent of regular levels at Macau's casinos um, even though the COVID case has really come down, there are still social distancing expectations in place. This is really different than what we've seen, for instance, in Singapore, where in April, most of the COVID restrictions were allowed to lapse and Singapore is booming. Bernstein analyst Vitaly Imansky just out with a note this morning saying that he anticipates the gross gaming revenue for July in Macau, the world's biggest gambling mecca to be 1% of July 2019 revenues. Now, we heard from Las Vegas Sands last week when it reported second quarter earnings, and CEO Rob Goldstein just admitted there is no clarity around these COVID closures, the continued restrictions that are blocking the kind of rebound that Las Vegas has seen. What we have heard, and I, and I talked to the CEOs of Sands and Wynn and MGM, they all anticipate a massive rebound once the restrictions are allowed to lapse. In the meantime, you have Wynn and Sands floating loans to their Macau subsidiaries to keep them steady, to keep them afloat. And we know that they're burning through cash because they've kept their people on hand and have kept the salaries uh, going for all of this. So they're burning through millions of cash at this point, Brian. It's a very tough road to hoe. And we'll see, you see, you know, if and when these COVID restrictions, these bizarre restrictions are lifted, who knows if they ever will be. At this point, the Chinese government just kind of almost feels like it's toying with people. That said, how big are these casinos? I mean, I said they're bigger than Vegas, right? They are. These things are massive. It, I, I just can't, I can't explain the importance to the companies that we cover, Win, MGM, uh, Las Vegas Sands. And don't forget about Melco, which is traded here, but it's a, a Malaysian-based company. Um, what, they're, what they saw before the pandemic is that, for instance, uh, 65% of Las Vegas Sands revenue came from Macau. You had 75% coming in for Wynn. So now you've got Wynn relying on yep. Encore Boston Harbor instead of its Macau casinos. It's a real reversal. And, and Las Vegas, as I said, booming. So, and we're seeing the same thing in Singapore for Sands, really lifting the boat and surprising to the upside. Just, it's just it's very confusing what China seems to be trying to do because it's not working. So whatever. But that said, Contessa Brewer, thank you. We sure. appreciate it. Wex is back right after this.
All right, welcome back. Time now for your Monday RBI. And this morning, let's get random but interesting on these markets because, of course, they're all over the place, right? It's a pretty nervous time on many levels. And everybody seems to want to know pretty much the answer to the same question. When will the stock market finally bottom out? Well, it's a big question. And Bank of America thinks they may have a good idea. First, their strategist Michael Hartnett is still pretty negative on stocks overall. And they say to sell if the S&P 500 rises back to 4,200. Check this out. B of A's new fund manager survey shows that stock allocation versus cash is at the lowest level since October of 2008 when the global financial crisis was starting to become apparent. Wow. This is a nasty negative market. But even so, we did some really positive breath momentum last week. So it is possible the market could rally back to 4,200. And if it does, though, Bank of America says sell. Hartnett says a new bull market can only begin if we get the Three P's, positioning, profits, policy. Positioning, they say, may be getting close. People are super pessimistic around profits as well. And there is a growing chance of a policy panic, according to B of A. There's your three P's. So now that you know this, when should you start buying stocks again? Well, here's B of A's advice. They say to nibble if the S&P 500 falls back to 3,600. They say to, quote, bite at 3,300, and gorge, their word, on stocks if we tumble all the way back to 3,000. Let's repeat that. Bank of America says, buy a little if we go back to 3,600, buy more if we fall to 3,300, and go all wild at the buffet if we crash back to 3,000. Of course, 3,000 is more than 20% lower than you are right now. So just thinking about that's a little nerve-wracking, but it's kind of the year it's been anyway, right? Random, but hopefully interesting and Helpful. Let's talk more about it now and stick to that report and bring in now uh, Scott Ladner. He is CIO of Horizon Investments. My apologies ahead of time, Scott, for the lack of time. We'll get you back on soon. What do you make of that uh, Bank of America strategy session there? You know, Brian, I think you think he's probably got it about right. Um, you know, one of the things that we've been looking for in terms of getting back in and getting and getting aggressive again is, is that policy change. Um, but, you know, right now, the only thing the Fed cares about, frankly, is inflation. And so when, you know, when that balance tips again, when, when, when we get the Fed caring more about growth and employment than they do about inflation, we got, then we have a chance for a policy shift. But until you get to that place, man, it is just it is really, really challenging to, uh, to, to figure out like, where we're going to get this white knight from. It's not going to come from the Fed, and it's certainly not coming from D.C. in the form of more fiscal spending. Uh, so you what know, are you, until we get that Scott, what are you shift, looking for? for policy shift, we're not going to have it. Is that, is that it? Is that for you what you're looking for, the policy shift as the sentiment shift? You know, it is, it is, but we think we're going to have to be able to be pretty reactive and, and, and react fairly quickly because, you know, this, you know, the last two years has been an exercise of everything being pulled forward. Uh, and so, you know, everything's happening more quickly. You know, we, we had corporate profits being pulled forward. We had consumer spending being pulled forward. We've had Fed rate hikes being pulled forward. And now we're probably having a recession being pulled forward. But we, we probably can't get too complacent because, every, you know, since everything's happening on compressed, on compressed cycles, we're going to have to be pretty reactive and, and not assume that it's going to play out like a typical recession. You know, yeah. this thing is probably going to turn around more quickly than we think, uh, but we're just not quite there yet because of the policy piece. Yeah, and we're, we're hearing from Treasury Secretary Jenny Ellen that likely no recession, but uh, some, of these, some of the people that we're relying on, Scott, uh, they've been pretty much wrong about everything. We shall see. Let's hope they're right this time. Scott Ladner, Horizon Investments. Get you back on again soon, Scott. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, folks, thank you, as always, for tuning in to Worldwide Exchange. It's only Monday. We're going to be back tomorrow, 23 hours from now. I'll see you then. In the meantime, 
Squawk is next. Dow futures, they're up. Oil is up a touch. Glad you're up. And we'll see you back tomorrow. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 